0: Hello, this is The Game Podcast from The Times and I'm Natalie Sawyer. Joining Gregor Robertson and I today, it is Tom Clark. Tom, good afternoon. How are you? How are you coping in these sweltering conditions?
1: Well, you know me, I, I like to be um, a bit of a contrarian, so I'm going to say <laughs> that I'm enjoying it immensely. <laughs> Uh, oh. Even though that is a barefaced lie, I was going uh, to say. And I may or may not be sat currently in my bedroom with a cold towel around my shoulders, <laughs> like some kind of naff boxer ready for a podcast duel with Gregor. <laughs> but um, <laughs> other, other than that, I'm 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 fine. I'm fine. Thank you. Well,
0: you do, do realise, though, in terms of a duel, Gregor is al- already going to be one up because he's been boasting about his air conditioning unit mm. that mm-hmm. he got last year. Is that keeping you nice and cool still, Gregor?
2: Oh, that's brilliant! Honestly, Susie Susie hammered me when I bought that last year. It's a big, monstrous-looking thing, and it's not the quietest thing in the world either. But oh. still, I thank the Lord for it every every evening now. So, brilliant. Well
0: where do you where do you store something that big?
2: Um, in a cupboard. But I'm serious. You, it, like you couldn't get it up and down the stairs, so I couldn't shift it around rooms. We just keep it in a bedroom, and if it's too hot, just like decamp to the bedroom and, oh. and stay nice and cool in there. So perfect. Perfect
1: Lucky
0: indie. boy. I know. <laughs> Enough of your showing off, Gregor. Uh, we have got uh, loads coming up as we round up Wolves' marathon season and look at a worrying story coming out of the EFL. But first, we're going to start in Scotland.
1: The train is now approaching. Junction
2: at platform. Passengers. Airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station
0: iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ready to
2: pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds.
0: And they're ready to ship to your door. We start with a turbulent week north of the border. Celtic and Aberdeen's next two premiership games have been postponed after high-profile breaches of coronavirus quarantine rules. The move comes after Scotland's First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, accused players of being incapable of living up to their responsibilities after Celtic's Bollingoli broke quarantine rules before playing in their one-all draw with Kilmarnock on Sunday. Bollingoli travelled to Spain ahead of the match and didn't quarantine on his return, something the club were unaware of until after the game. It came just days after Aberdeen's trip to St Johnston was called off due to two of their players testing positive for coronavirus. Eight Dons players later issued public apologies for breaking guidelines by visiting a bar following their opening day defeat to Rangers on August the 1st. So Tom, when you heard the news from both the Aberdeen camp and the Celtic camp, was it a sigh of oh no or actually did it not surprise you at all?
1: I think it was probably something even stronger than that. I was probably torn between anger and sympathy. Um, and I think they're they're two very different cases. But I would really, really hope as a starting point for any conversation around this kind of topic, both, you know, today and going forward through the season, that we really try. Um, I sound like I'm making some kind of political speech here, but really try to kind of judge footballers as... as as humans, and judge them on a level with all of us, because so often footballers take a kicking, sometimes rightly, sometimes sometimes wrongly, in my opinion. But mm. this is such a you know a, a widespread um, issue that is affecting everyone, and it's it's I find it very difficult to judge footballers so harshly for you know the way that in which they're having to deal with this scenario of doing their job, but facing such different rules to everyone else you know i mean you know we're all working now today and our employers are giving us flexibility around how we do our jobs whether we want to come into the office whether we feel safe to do so and in the meantime we're all choosing because of the vagaries of the rules and stipulations to go to the pub to go to a restaurant to go and see friends to go to a park probably to go off oh, sod it you know what i'm going to start hugging people and yet footballers in order to You know, let's be honest. Provide us with a great distraction from the horrible world that we're currently in, are having to, you know, camp down and, you know, be so restricted on what they can do. Um, Obviously, the bowling golly one is about as as far as you could go to break the rules. I mean, it's almost like he's trying to, you know, come up with a funny way. How far can I push this? But you know, with the Aberdeen lads, I mean, I, I, you know, I live in London. I've walked past bars in which there's so many people from different households hugging and so close to each other and you're telling me that they're all issuing apologies to their work colleagues when they go in and see them on Monday morning. Of course they're not. So I, I, fi- I find it really difficult to judge them too harshly whilst accepting that particularly in the Bollingoli case it's, you know, a very extreme rule breach and violation. But I, I'm really trying to err on the side of sympathy, actually, um, even with the stupidity of some of the actions that we've seen so far.
0: Gregor, what do you think? I mean, there's talk of bubbles, and footballers should be living in, in this these little bubbles that they're in, and, and, and Tom is right to, to differentiate between the two cases. They are very different. Um, where do you stand on it? Is it too much to ask for players to, to change their lives dramatically for, for this period that we're in right now?
2: Well, yeah, they are very different cases. Bolongoli's, um unless there's some ext- sort of extraordinary mitigating circumstance that we're not aware of, and he's not willing to divulge it. That's just lunacy. Um, the Aberdeen players. Um, the, the thing I had, the problem I have with it is, is, is that if you, if you look, if you compare it to England where we've had, you know, we're, we've finished the project restart and that was a kind of a six week window. It was, the thought was, you know, we've got to complete these fixtures for a lot of reasons. Um, this is what you have to do in order to do it. And, you know, there was a few breaches, but on on the whole, the players got their heads around it and they did it. What we're what we're now doing, and what we're, we're going to soon face in England too, is the beginning of a whole season where we're essentially asking footballers to barely leave the house apart from training for an indefinite period. We don't mm-hmm. know how long this is going to go on for. So, like, Neil Lennon was asked about it and he said, look, we've said you can't go to restaurants... You can't socialise. You can't go to cafes. So, a footballer now in Scotland can't really do anything outside work, and that's going to be that's. I'm, I'm almost certain that's going to be the same here. You're going to have to live your life differently if you're a footballer as restrictions are eased, uh, kind of nationwide, and you know the government rules. Aber- the Aberdeen players broke them. They were, there were too many households. So that was the reason for it, and obviously they weren't to know that there was that was the beginning of a. Of a, of a kind of a serious spread in aberdeen um so so yes they they can break rules, but we're asking for quite a lot of footballers now, and it's not no longer a six week window to finish a season It's the start of a new season
0: so in that sense, Tom, do you think we're actually going to see more footballers breaking the rules then
2: yeah, I
1: wouldn't be surprised at all because as I said firstly I'd keep to stress that they're not the only ones you know you see people technically breaking the rules. All over the country, I could go for a walk around the block and I'd probably find a couple of people breaking the rules technically. And I mean, yes, I mean, people might be listening to this and going, Yeah, but they're so lucky they're paid a load of money and all this kind of stuff. I've, I just think that's just sh- really shouldn't come into it in this case because it that the scenario Gregor has just described is so difficult. You know, whether you're an older player in their 30s who's maybe got kids and a family. And it's, you know, absolute torture to be stuck in the house the whole time because you're going absolutely mad and you need some space and you need to be able to take the kids out. Or if you're a young footballer, you know, a 22 year old who's maybe moved from home only last season on a transfer from a different country. And now you're asked to stay in your rented flat somewhere, just playing Xbox all day long, waiting to go to training and waiting to go to the game. That's that's just not healthy about you know mm-hmm. in terms of the you know mental health of sportsmen which is becoming more prevalent these days so i think it is it is a sign of things to come because i actually think the more you kind of lock clamp down on it the more there's going to be this sort of sort of feeding frenzy which there always seems to be around footballers which is what my point is i really would like then you know this a footballer drink driving, a footballer you know caught smoking, all this kind of stuff that we've had through the years, setting setting an example and all this kind of stuff. To me, this is really different. And if we keep hammering them and keep going at them, it's it's just going to carry on because we're we don't want it to stop. We're all desperate for the season to start again. You're telling me you're going to be able to tell, you know, a, a Rangers fan or a Celtic fan that you know actually, well, we'll we'll call it off then. And the same in England, you know, if this kind of creeps up again in the nor- you know, areas of the north, maybe it spreads into Yorkshire. You're going to tell a Leeds fan that we're going to be able to call the season off before the Premier League starts? Not a chance. So if we want this brilliant escapism, we want this outlet for, you know, a release and escape from the, the world that we're in. We've got to allow footballers some slack and we can't just keep hammering them. But um, we have to accept that they probably are going to break the rules because the r- rules are pretty harsh on them i think
0: Mm. Uh, it is that case isn't it of already mentioned both of you that we're trying to come out of of a lockdown yet those players gregor are being asked to remain in a situation that nobody wants to be in i mean a lot of people found it very difficult to be stuck inside for as long as we had to be uh, inside so are we expecting too much of footballers are we putting too much pressure on them
2: Look, it's a balancing act because at the same time, as, you know, Tom said that if you're going to tell a player, uh, tell supporters that you know the season's going to going to be going to come to a halt, if it, if if the only way for that not to happen is for the players to be operating in a bubble and to a certain extent and to make sure that they're 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 safe from infection, then you know that's the price that has to be paid. But at the same time, there does have to be, you know, I don't think you can. I just don't think you can judge footballers and the rest of society by different rules certainly not like if they were out for a coffee or or they've gone out for dinner or things like that you know i think they've got to do their very best um but it's 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 a slippery slope if you're judging footballers by their a, a completely different set of rules and as i say the most key key factor of that is we don't know for how long this is going to be the case you know it could be years mm. Mm. so you know every time a footballer is spotted out Somewhere and they, somebody takes a little, a little uh, picture on their camera phone, of like a few of them out having dinner or something, and you know that's probably going to be a news story. This is the kind of world we're living in now. So, the one thing I have to say is though is that you know this is just scott the, the fact that this happened in the first couple of weeks of the season is just such a such a bad look for for Scottish football, particularly after the way the season was was ended. You know the kind of the the acrimony that involved, and also even just in the in the pre-season period where there were some big issues with, around testing, and there was kind of friendlies were called off an hour before kick-off and things like that. So really, Scottish football has to get its, its act in order. So um, and you know certainly for a period of time that includes the players.
0: Well, Neil Lennon has said it will be very difficult for Bonagali to be accepted back into the Celtic dressing room. Tom. <laughs> Do they need to have some punishment put upon them? And I'm talking about Bolingoli and the Aberdeen players as well.
1: I think probably part of me would like them to be not punished at all, you know, tested to see whether they've got coronavirus and then, you know, carry on and say, you know, this is a warning sign. Firstly, I find Lennon's words, choice of words, um, you know, a bit careless because you're, you know, singling out a player there for criticism, both by his own teammates and by the wider world, which I think is a little unfair for a bloke who's, you know, 25, I think. Um, I, I think he probably should be punished because as we discussed earlier, it's about as, you know, flagrant disregard for the rules as you could make. The Aberdeen players, I don't think they should be punished at all because as I say, it's the different household thing, which for me, you're seeing it, you know, everyone's everyone does it all the time I mean you know people are in parks and all this kind of stuff people are going around to people's houses people are in mm-hmm. restaurants.
2: Johnny he's actually said we kind of thought we made the point that, or we don't kind of can we not be regarded as a household as well they spend every mm. single day with each other. And so well exactly we're and that's the thing so
1: you know you're kind of you're training and you're you know high-fiving in the pitch when you scored and then you go to a bar and or a restaurant for a bit of team bonding or maybe a bit of escapism and that's that's, that's deemed that's deemed wrong. I I just think we've got to find a way of allowing footballers to have a life because the, their sport is so important to us having a life other than coronavirus. Their their only you know reason for getting up in the morning can't just be football, because then the football itself will suffer and then in turn the fans will suffer. I think
0: it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you've already mentioned there, Tom. You have sympathy towards the players involved in all of this. It's fair to say that the Scottish First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, doesn't. She's warned clubs that the premiership season could be suspended if there are further breaches of coronavirus protocols. This is what she said. Let me put this as clearly as I can in language that the football world will understand. Consider today to be the yellow card. The next time, it will be the red card, because you will leave us with absolutely no choice. Do you really think it could come to that, Gregor? Could the season be ended before it's even begun.
2: I mean, uh, <laughs> it would be remarkable. It would be astonishing, and not just it would be it would be seriously uh, dangerous for so many clubs because they're already teetering on the blink. It's not the same sort of scenario as down here, where the the Premier League has such huge TV riches that you know will sustain it and possibly help other clubs that lower down the pyramid, even if fans aren't allowed in. Scottish football really doesn't have that. It's a it's a pretty paltry T V deal in comparison with Sky and um they need to get fans in pretty soon too. So I, I also I think really it probably would be counter counterproductive because who who would who would who would be asked to bail out football clubs as they as they went to the wall? It would probably be the Scottish Government. So um I understand why she's saying it and possibly there would be a if something happened again I wouldn't be surprised if she called a halt to it. But already there's such a, you know, the fixtures are piling up. There's no, there was no gaps in the first place, and now that now that Celtic have got this, uh, this enforced sort of uh, break, that you know the the fixture pile up is going to be immense.
1: Just feels to me like, you know, using uh, her slightly condescending uh, phraseology of, you know, a language that football can understand. You know, footballers making mistakes is an absolute like tap in from five yards for politicians at the minute because they are under so much pressure and, you know, by, you know, no stretch of the imagination, are they making the right decisions or have made the right decisions at any point, not just Nicola Sturgeon, you know, government in England as well. And I, I just think it's such an obvious way of kicking someone and be seen to be doing something. And I just think if she, she does, I don't believe her for a start. I don't believe she would actually do that because as Gregor says, you're, you're built, you're creating far bigger problems for yourself there needs to be a better way of doing it rather than just saying bad and naughty football as usual.
0: Well, Gregor, you mentioned the fixture pile-up for Celtic with the two games now postponed. Their next scheduled match is the Champions League qualifier next weekend against KR Reykjavik. With a question mark over that surrounding whether UEFA or the Scottish Government will allow that game to go ahead. Their next scheduled SPFL game is the 22nd of August with Celtic going to Dundee United. By then they could be some way behind Rangers and other teams in the Premiership. So could this derail Celtic's title ambitions, Gregor, and could it actually work in Rangers' favour?
2: I think to be talking about derailing a uh, title <laughs> bid in like the second week of the season... it's <laughs> ah, Come it's on, maybe, Gregor, play essential. the game! Play the game! <laughs> <laughs> there's no doubt, though, on the other hand, Rangers, if they were 11 points clear, I think, which they could be, potentially, that, you know, that's that's a hell of a boost psychologically for them and it's something that Celtic have to play catch up on so it certainly wouldn't do them any favours but you know even going beyond that this is a a season that is so weighty in Scottish football because Celtic are going for 10 titles in a row which you know both Celtic Mm -hmm. and Rangers have in the past won 9 in a row you know tied and if Celtic were to go one better this time that's kind of like you know Celtic fans could not could not fathom why Brendan Rodgers or Kieran Tierney left to come down to England when they had this sort of possibility of creating history. <laughs> that's you know that's the kind of that's the kind of achievements that Celtic are going for now. It's not just about winning one title. It's now about getting that that one upmanship and a ten in a row title uh, which probably would never be beaten. So and obviously the counter to that is that Steven Gerrard is under great pressure to to stop them and to win his first trophy. So you know for that for the for this season to be really badly disrupted because of Covid and possibly halted. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how th- the country would react to that. To be quite honest,
1: <laughs> the train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers,
2: airport. Please stay on board. Next stop, road Station.
0: iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Macclesfield Town have been relegated to the National League after the EFL won an appeal against a points deduction. The deduction is for breaches of regulations relating to non-payment of wages and had been a suspended four-point sanction, but that will now be applied, meaning they finish bottom of League Two. They appear to have escaped relegation in June after coronavirus ended the season early when they were docked two points with four suspended. But an EFL statement said an independent panel's decision was final and binding. It means a reprieve for Stevenage, but bad news for Macclesfield fans who have seen their club deducted 17 points in total, over the course of the season across three disciplinary cases. Following confirmation of Macclesfield's relegation, the head coach Mark Kennedy and his assistant, Danny Butterfield, effectively resigned, indicating they didn't wish to sign new contracts for next season. Gregor, should Macclesfield feel hard done by?
2: I think undoubtedly they should. Uh, And this is split opinion quite, quite widely, I think, in in League Two and in the EFL, I think. I think one of the the main reasons is pe- the, a lot of people seem to be making comparisons to, to Bury, um, and and basically since since Bury the demise of Bury last year, the EFL have drastically tightened, uh, the way that they are, enforcing, their their own rules essentially, and and the the penalties for 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 uh, any breaches. So Macclesfield have failed to fulfil two two league fixtures and they've failed to play their players on time six six times. So look they're they're a shambles. There's no two ways about that. They've they've been they've been run like the the owner basically this was found in a, in a in a in the in the sport resolution report actually. The owner kind of sweeps the club bank accounts regularly to sort of move money around in these other struggling businesses. That's not me saying that. That was that was found by the QC who who did this report. So he really kind of almost uses the club like when he needs to, uh, a means of accessing cash, and that means that you know bills aren't paid and the players aren't paid. So there has you know th- there has to be punishments, but I think there's in this case what is different, and it's a bit like Wigan actually is that there's there's no sporting advantage to Macclesfield. There's been no, you know, Bury Bury were promoted from League Two. With a huge budget and they were paying players that funds that they couldn't afford wages that they couldn't possibly afford which was you know for a club like mansfield who finished below them that season would be very hard to take macclesfield haven't done that they've got a paltry a tiny budget and the players have performed really admirably despite not being paid on six six occasions and like stories of players sleeping in in their car in a, in a supermarket car park and, you know, real hardship. And so there's, there's been no advantage. It's actually been, um, it's, it's made life harder for their players and they've, they've still played well. So I don't think that this is, you know, there's been no advantage gained. Stevenage won three games. Macclesfield were a better team than them. And they're, they're, because of the actions of their owner, uh, who they can't, you know, they they can't. They have no influence over that. He's owned the club since two thousand and three, I think, and he's done this on and off, pretty much for the last decade. Um, and because of the actions of the owner, the club has been punished further. The supporters, the players, the staff have been punished further. Um, personally, I think it's it's unfair, but it's a very difficult situation for the for the EFL. They have to be seen to be doing something after Bury.
0: Tom, where do you stand on it all? You know, there are other cases that we know of with Stevenage escaping a points deduction regarding the postponement of a game against Oldham. Bolton missed two games. They didn't actually suffer any points deduction. Do you have sympathy towards Macclesfield?
1: I think the inconsistency is is the problem that uh, understandably Macclesfield fans have got an issue with. I think, uh, just to counter Gregor, I think there are a lot of fans in the Football League who look at Macclesfield and it's a little bit like, you know, having a sick pet finally put down because, you know, they got promoted two years ago and the manager left soon after, John Askey, um, who had been credited with getting them out of the National League. Um, And, you know, the two years that they've kind of been in the Football League have been just just fraught with difficulties, Uh, you know, every week there's been problems seemingly And it's just that other clubs I feel are slightly tired of it all um, in a way that perhaps, you know, to talk about with others, you know, Wigan and things, they come out of the blue, like bang, all of a sudden they're in administration and we've not thought about it. With Macclesfield, it really has felt like this kind of tired saga. Um, So there's an element where... You, there's a not satisfaction, but a com- almost like a relief amongst o- opposition fans and understandably Stevenage fans that you know this is this is the decision that's been taken. Um, the only worry I have is that this will be a decision that pretty much just destroys the club because in the current climate, um, with no fans able to come um, and you know difficulties around what a, what a football club like Macclesfield means to local businesses and things with the problems that they've got, you know, the owner just um, disappears and steps down about 10, five or six days before this decision was taken. I I just don't see where the hell they go from here. Um, That's, that's my worry. Um, Mm. And I think, but I I can understand at the same time, Gregor's point of view and why it seems a little bit harsh. um, Particularly as Gregor says, because they were the better team essentially in comparison to Stevenage.
2: Well, the thing is, as well, is that uh, you, you know you, you mentioned Bolton. I, I can't. I have can, not been able to find an example of another club who has been deducted points for failure to pay the for failure to pay uh, to pay their players. So this happens every year. You know, Southend were were given a suspended uh, points deduction this year, as you say, Bolton, Bury... Oldham, Morecambe, you can, you could re, you know, run off a list every year of clubs that pay their players late. And I'm not saying that's good, and I'm not saying it's right. And there should be, sort of, I think there should be sanctions in place where it's an almost an automatic thing. You shouldn't have clubs lobbying the EFL to say, "We're sick of this." It should be if you're, if you if you fail to play to pay your players on time, I don't know, a three point sanction. It happens immediately. It should be there in black and white. What the, what the problem with this has been there's just a constant legal to and fro in where there's an independent commission who, uh, you know, they, they, they hand down a, points, uh, a punishment and then the EFL appeal it. That's, that seems bizarre in itself. The mm. Football League appealing against a decision from an independent uh, uh, commission. So it's just never-ending. And I think, as I say, the fact that Macclesfield are not only the first club to have been uh, given a points deduction for failure to pay their to pay their players on time. Um, this has happened three times.
0: Hmm. Tom do you agree with that what, what Gregor was saying about perhaps the EFL need to have clearer rules in place for their points deductions and perhaps they should happen immediately when a club doesn't pay its its players on time let's not forget what happened with Wigan and the points deduction not happening until that final day of the championship season do, do you think the EFL should be stronger with their rules and change things?
1: clearer i think is the is would be the more important thing for me and and accountability to me you know when the macclesfield decision came out all you had were these kind of statements from nameless people i, I think it would it, there should be some kind of whatever you want to call it a group a board a watchdog something which has sole responsibility and sole you know guardianship over financial matters and the running of clubs because this happens far too often And the people that suffer are the local community and the fans and the managers and the staff who lose their jobs. And the people responsible seem to me to just run away. Um, If you compare that to on the pitch, when a team is doing badly, the manager who's responsible loses his job. When a football club is run badly, it doesn't seem to work in the same way. And I think Gregor's point about perhaps, you know, incremental, you know, on the spot decisions where you know as i say some kind of watchdog has overarching responsibility for these kind of decisions and there that for therefore there would be a bit more accountability and we as fans we would know who these people are it wouldn't just be the EFL says you know, it, there would be some people who would be picked, or you know, voted for, or you know, put in put in charge of dealing with these matters, well, so that it doesn't get to this situation where there's been these incremental decisions, and eventually some panel somewhere goes, yeah, you know, let's finish him off for this. It ju- it just also that seems a bit wrong.
2: The one sorry, one thing I would add is that the EFL, uh, the EFL is the clubs. We keep coming back mm-hmm. to this. The EFL make their own mm-hmm. rules, so the clubs it's up to the clubs if they want to change this and it, what Tom is essentially describing is an independent regulator which fans have been calling for for more than a decade because they, as as I say the, the, the EFL are a members club clubs have wildly different priorities and uh, agendas and an independent regulator would be seen as something that would you know to govern the game rather than, than the clubs governing themselves which they are failing to do properly at the moment so um, the one thing about Wigan too, sorry, quickly, is that that is an automatic. If, you, if mm-hmm. you become if you become insolvent, you are given a twelve point deduction automatically. The, thing, the only delay was over the timing of Wigan's point deduction. So, Macclesfield haven't gone, haven't become insolvent, um, and they've they've the, the maximum point deduction you can get is twelve points. But they've received 17 because it's been over a period of the season. So hmm. they, that's another reason why they feel hard done by. If they'd if they gone into administration, they would have only been reducted, deducted 12 points. But they didn't do that. They they eventually have paid their players. It's just been catastrophic mismanagement that's brought them to you.
0: You mentioned Gregor a little bit earlier on the owner that is a certain Amar al qadi uh, he's an Iraqi born businessman who described himself as a genuine fan has been involved at the club since two thousand and three and Tom, you also mentioned the fact that just last week he stepped down from his position as chairman but remains Macclesfield's majority shareholder until he can sell his stake in the club. But Macclesfield, as we know, have had one of the smallest budgets in the football league and among the lowest average gates. There's no chairman, there's no chief executive, no general manager, no commercial manager and no academy. Al uh, Alcadi, as the only stakeholder, the only director and the only board member, calls all the shots, but few, of course, are being fired. And he also lives in Ibiza and rarely attends games at Moss Rose. Do you think, Tom, in some ways, when you hear what's now happened to Macclesfield, that this is a warning to to clubs really too, and I say this in speech marks, to choose your next owner carefully.
1: Yeah, increasingly you see fans at the level of Macclesfield uh, and I've got to get them in, Lincoln, you know, talking more (laughs) as much about managers as they do about owners and the chairman and things. And you constantly see the management of a club from a higher level being talked about as important you know, as being as important as who the manager is. You know, I think in the Premier League you could perhaps get away with it, but at this level, it's so important to have structural, you know, a, a structure in place that allows, you know, good decisions to be made for the continuity of the football club within within the football league. If they're, you know, as Gregor mentioned before, Berry just spent their way to promotion and didn't think and didn't look ahead to what it might mean for the club further down the road. Um, if if there were a way for fans to choose their owners, I'm sure there would be lots of fans out there desperate for the chance to, um, to have a say and to, you know, to really have a, a, ch- a choice in picking owners sometimes, because there are some, there are some terrible ones out there as much as there are some brilliant ones. Um, but it, it, it is another warning, but I'd, until, until, the kind of body is in place among the EFL that I talked about before. I I don't really think that warning is going to be heeded because these kind of owners will keep coming and going at football league level just because they can, I think, sadly, quite a lot of the time.
0: Well, in theory, the club's finances should be boosted by EFL parachute payments next season, which should permit a degree of stability. And some fans are even looking forward to meeting old rivals, Stockport and Altrincham, in the National League. Now, Tom, I know you are a little bit worried about the future for Macclesfield, but Gregor, Mm. do do you feel that they could bounce back?
2: Well, I mean, yeah, they get parachute payments, but uh, there's another way of looking at it, which is when they were promoted in, in 2018 their budget their playing budget was 350 grand in the national league which is one of the lowest in in the fifth tier and they won the league and so then when they when they were promoted your central funding leaps from 90,000 pounds to more than a million it's like can be 1.3 million with TV money included and still this has happened so they've not gone out and spent for like you know they've they've increased the budget so they can compete but they have still got one of the smallest budgets in the Football League. And that is with, you know, that should have been an opportunity to sustain the club and run it kind of in a, as Tom said, you know, put in, put in place a structure and whatnot. And it's just not happened. So they've, they've, they've brought back a guy, Mark Blower, who was a former chairman of the club. Um, and apparently he's, he's competent, but it, he's also been in place in the past when the same things have happened. I remember speaking to a player who said that the the team the season they got promoted from the national league the team en masse went up to meet him at a at a local golf club to confront them about late payment of wages so he was still he was there and in place when when this was happening in in, in the fifties It's been happening for years It's just that it's more in the in the sort of public eye when when you're in the, when you have that status of a football league club so really I don't think anything is going to change. I'd be hugely surprised if anything's going to change before Mm. Al Khedery sells the club.
0: Yeah, and and Tom, you've mentioned, you know, we know that you're a Lincoln fan. (laughs) You know how hard it is to get out of the National League.
1: So so difficult. And I mean, you mentioned there talking about Stockport. I think I've said it before on the show when we were relegated, Stockport were relegated with us, and they were then went down again the next season. It's so difficult and. As I said, in the climate that we're in at the minute, with who knows what in terms of fans coming back into stadiums, I just don't. I don't see a bright future for Macclesfield at all. And I mean, there's an there's an element as well with I think just quickly with clubs like Macclesfield, where I kind of I talked about it before with kind of sick pet. I'll probably you know upset a lot of Macclesfield fans, but. there's there's, there's never been that kind of allure with them as a club. As Gregor said, they managed to pull off a brilliant promotion with barely any money in the National League. And I just don't see... there, There would need to be a complete revamp for any manager or player to see that as an attractive proposition. You know, battling away with all this going on in the background, not sorted in front of no fans at a ground like Moss Rose, which isn't the most inviting at the best of times. And I say that having been there plenty of times. Um, I, I just I just can't see it. I don't see where it comes from. Even with you know a few new people in charge in the boardroom, I do, I, I mean, yeah I'd be interested if Gre- you know Gregor if you're in it, if you're towards the end of the season do you take a one year deal at Macclesfield knowing they've not paid paid their other players for a year? I mean I wouldn't.
2: Well yeah I know it's just in the current climate I think be a lot of players out there desperate to to get any employment yeah, at all. Perhaps. But the, the one thing you would say is as soon as Al-Qaeda leaves if he was to leave apparently every local business has walked away there used to be there used to be decent connections in the town mm. and you know lo- local sponsorship and things like that and they've always completely washed their hands with the football club while he's in charge so if there was if somebody else was to buy the club and take over they don't have to be you know a multi-millionaire just somebody who can run it with some business acumen and mm. know-how uh, and and then who knows what's possible
0: After 383 days and 59 games across 12 long months, Wolves' mammoth campaign is finally over in the Europa League. They were left to rue a missed penalty from Raul Jiménez as they were knocked out of the competition by Sevilla, who landed a late knockout blow in a 1-0 win. It ends an exciting season for Wolves on a deflating note, with their late loss of form resulting in a 7th place finish in the Premier League, which wasn't enough for European qualification. So, Tom, how will Wolves look back on this season? Do you think
1: I wouldn't be surprised if there is a few fans out there feeling a little bit deflated at the moment, um, and I would understand that feeling because they'd have probably looked at the Premier League run in and seen the teams, you know, like Tottenham and even you know right up to Manchester, you know, Manchester United managing to get in the Champions League, and thought, "How the hell have we let that happen?" Um, I, I, but I just I think they should be you know really pleased because. It's a hell of an effort to have, you know, performed relatively consistently, consistently over that period of time. Um, and I think it's been a great season for them. And I think perhaps that as a wider footballing, you know, uh, society, we look at them because they've got some brilliant players and they've had some financial backing and think, oh, well, they're brilliant now. But quick to forget where they've come from in terms of, you know, the promotions from the championship not that long ago. Um I think I think they should look back on it as a as a brilliant season. But though I could understand why in the initial you know aftermath there might be a bit of disappointment.
0: Hmm. Of course, Gregor, as Tom has rightly pointed out, towards the end of the season they sort of were a little bit hit and miss in the Premier League. But there was a time when people were suggesting they they could bag European football again next season. That's not to be. Could could and should they have achieved more?
2: I mean, as Tom says, getting getting so close to. You know, people talking about them reaching the Champions League and stuff. Uh, there will be some disappointment, but I think you have to put it in context. Three years ago, they win the championship. They've just got to the quarterfinals of the Europa League. I think I think it's the first time they've reached that sort of stage for since 1972. Um it's Two seventh place finishes in a row. That it's. Uh, and also, th- uh, th- you, we have to kind of hammer home how long their season has been. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's a joke. And I think I read somewhere that they covered 25,000 miles as well on the road. <laughs> you know, because you're going to so many far-flung places in the Europa League and it starts so early in the season. And we have to remember how badly they started as well because of that in the Premier League. And then, you know, they found their form. And I, I, think, I think it's been another successful season. And I actually think if they were to... If they were to choose between another European adventure in the Europa League and maybe a season out of it with the potential of you know, having a bit of a, a clearer run at trying to get into the top four next season with some backing in the summer, then they might look back on it as actually not, no bad thing to have fallen out of that final European spot.
0: Yeah, they went uh, without a win in their first six games in the Premier League. But as you say, Gregor, they started way back on the 25th of July in the Europa League qualifiers. So it has been a, a long, long season for Wolves and their boss, Nuno Espirito Santo, Uh, is very proud of his side's achievements, given the size of their squad, but admits they will have to bring in new faces in order to remain competitive. Uh, Nuno's side used just 21 players in Premier League matches this season. That's fewer than any other team, while as many as eight players featured in at least 50 games in all competitions. Nuno said, It's a small squad and we must be really proud, but now we need to make good decisions so we do not make mistakes like we did before. We need more players that can help us. Do we think Wolves will get more quality players than in this transfer window, Tom?
1: I, I wouldn't be surprised, given the quality of players that they managed to sign over the last two seasons. Um, I think people like Raul Jimenez could do could easily be playing uh, at, you know in inverted commas, bigger clubs across Europe. I, I think one thing that's worth considering, and Gregor kind of touched on it just then with them dropping out of the Europa League, it might be... Interesting for them as a club to kind of reassess at this point and say, okay, well, we know we've got clear goals for next season. We don't have this mad cap, you know, Europa League start, you know, in whenever it's going to be. Um, and we've got a clear run at this and kind of reevaluating what they want to be as a club. And we come back to this on the podcast quite a lot, referencing both, you know, Liverpool to Sheffield United, you know, these clubs that have a clear ethos all the way through from the boardroom to the pitch. And You know, when you look at that squad, yes, it's a small squad, but it's also not the youngest squad. Lots of their players, you know, Patricio in goal is in 33, I think. Um, Jimenez is 30 next year. Moutinho in midfield is 33. Neves and Adama Traore are quite young, but then they might also be the two players who you would suggest might they be on their way. So I think it would be wise to frame that question in not just let's buy more quality players, but think, right, what do we actually want to achieve? And maybe go out there and do what some of the Leicesters have done, where you buy a player that you perhaps grow over a couple of seasons and only comes good in two or three years. Or perhaps they are just kind of blindly going for fourth spot, and in which case they'll just go out and buy a couple of good players from Portugal, a couple of good players from Spain, and then they'll be up there again.
0: Greg, what do you think? Can can Wolves do it again? Without any investment.
2: Well, obviously they have, have, have fewer fixtures next season, but I I agree. I think I think it's it's going to be very, very interesting to see whether they manage to hold on to Shawry. I think him and his the money they would be looking for at his age, uh, probably they might. I think they might just about be able to keep a hold of him, um, but I think they probably could do with. A midfielder, and they need an understudy to Jimenez. They don't really have another striker mm-hmm. center forward, so I think they do need to to invest. And I think, on the whole, you know, if you look at their their transfer activity, they've been they've been pretty pretty good. Patrick Cotroni came in and went. Um, he was supposed to be a kind of understudy uh, to, to Jimenez up front. Pedro Neto. Was a good, good find, but they have been, last year has not been quite the same. They have, they have had to rely upon the same players, and I think Nuno was kind of hinting at that. He was saying, you know, the the squad that started the season was, is the same now. It's not, you know, the players they added in the last year have not really improved the team. I say netto aside, so that needs to change. I think they, on the whole, they have done done a, a, a remarkable job, really. Of course, with a lot of financial backing, but. They've, they've spent their money well and I think probably we need to see another summer like that for Wolves to, probably for Wolves to maintain even where they are now in the league actually.
0: Well it has been a terrific season for Wolves and I'm no doubt there will be some Wolves fans who will be worried about whether or not they'll be able to keep hold of the players that are at the club already As for Wolves' Conquerors Sevilla, they're going to take on Manchester United on Sunday night for a place in the Europa League final. Inter Milan and Shakhtar Donetsk play on Monday in the second semi-final. So with the teams left in the competition, Tom, who's the favourite? Who are you going for?
1: I mean, probably Inter Milan. I think it'll be an Inter Milan Sevilla final. (laughs) Um,
2: I really? <laughs> I love the way he just casually wipes over Manchester. Oh, yeah. United <laughs> we,
1: we can come to that in a minute. Um I've how Manchester United have had the season they've had is beyond me. But um I think <laughs> I, I think um Sevilla are a very good side with uh, a lot of experienced players. Ava Benega in midfield is um a brilliant little midfielder who's been there for quite a while um and performed very well for Argentina in the World Cup uh, recently. Um he's one of those kind of European players that You know, as an English football fan, you just pops up in Champions League, Europa League matches, and you're always like, "God, he's a good player." Um, They've got some very talented uh, defenders as well. Um, Jules Kounde. I wouldn't be surprised if he keeps uh, Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial quiet. Uh, and they've also got a full-back, Ragulan. Um, I think you, that might be a terrible pronunciation from me, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him make a move to a bigger club in the summer. Um, so, uh, But I, I would, I'll would i say Inter Milan just because they've got Antonio Conte, who's a very experienced manager and has won a lot already uh, in his career. Uh, and they've got a pretty formidable side, Inter Milan. So I, I'll go Inter and Sevilla in the final with Inter shading it.
0: OK, uh, we will come back to your take on Manchester United's season in just a moment, Tom. But Greg, I've got to ask you then, are you going for an Inter Milan-Sevilla final as well?
2: Uh, it's going to be tough. I mean, Sevilla, they, you know, they did—they they dominated against Wolves. Wolves were an Wolves were knackered, I think. <laughs> we can see why. <laughs> yeah. But they had less than 25% of the ball. And that's, you know, Wolves are a team who can kind of sit with a Mid to low block and break on a t- on a, but that that's pretty much unheard of. So, Sevilla are a proper team. Um, but you know I've, Manchester United are in a pretty good place. They've got you know their front three are on fire. Um, Pogba and Fernandes back and you know they're that's the kind of part pairing that we wanted to see for a, quite a while and it's and it's there. Um, it's promised to be a great game and obviously Inter Milan are. Or, uh, did I tell you I went to Milan earlier in the summer? Oh God! Oh, God. <laughs> uh, Lukaku, you know that's good. Lukaku off against Manchester United would be would be good to see as well. So. Well, not just Lukaku. Uh, we've got
1: Ashley Young, Alexis course. Sanchez. Mm. You can see it now, can't you? Yeah. Young long ball, Lukaku nods it down. Sanchez <laughs> for the winner in the final if United <laughs> do somehow make it.
2: Yeah, no, that's the final I would like to see.
0: Okay, and could you then pick a winner, Gregor?
2: Um. I think Manchester United may win it. Yeah. There you
0: go. They're, oh, look, look uh, at the disdain from uh, Tom. Just
1: no. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, that's up there with your prediction that Norwich were going to survive in the Premier <laughs> <laughs> League. For me. Nice Thanks for lesson. bringing that up again. Yeah. Well, I've been waiting to be honest. I couldn't help myself.
0: <laughs> he did stick with that one for a very long time. Yeah, He's he adamant. Did. This is going to work in Norwich's favour. Unfortunately, yeah, it didn't. A this mathematically is mathematically impossible. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't. This isn't about Norwich. Come on, then, Tom. Tell us why you are so stunned by the season that that Manchester United have
1: had. I just. I, it sounds like I'm. I just. I've got nothing against Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. and you know, my brothers a Manchester United fan. I just don't think they're very good. Like, I think they've had, you know, sparks here and there. Fernandez comes in and plays good for a bit. Greenwood is brilliant occasionally you know people pretend Harry Maguire's suddenly made them a brilliant defensive unit I I just don't I just don't see it I've watched them a lot this season both in lockdown you know I mean you beat Bournemouth 5-2 and everyone starts raving about your front three I mean come on I mean I, I just I just don't see it I think Edward Wood has a chance now to make the best decision of his time in charge of Manchester United which would be to it. say cheers Ollie Thanks very much. You've got us in the Champions League. Hey, maybe you've even won the Europa League. Go out as a legend. Go out, Maintain your status. I'm off to get Mauricio Pochettino. Because if you can tell me that they're honestly even anywhere near challenging Man City in Liverpool next season, I, I'd be even more shocked than your Norwich prediction, Gregor. Because I'm, I'm just not seeing
2: it. Look, I've said actually, I think I've been fairly consistent in my line on Manchester United. I think that Solskjaer deserves... To continue after the season, he's he's confounded certainly my expectations. But I agree, I would be hugely like astonished if he ever brings them into direct com- like competition for the Premier League with Manchester City or Liverpool while Klopp or Guardiola are in charge of them. But that's just the way it is. Who who comes close to them? Pochettino, you might say that, but I think I still think that it would be it would be such a disruptive thing to happen if they were to get rid of Solskjaer now after the way they finished the season.
1: I think, I, I could not I could not disagree with you more. They've, it's perfectly set up. He's got them in, <laughs> he's got rid of the Lukaku's and the players that, you know, perhaps weren't gelling. He's got a perfect, you know, he's got a good balance. He's finally, you know, Pogba and Fernandes, he's got potential for that midfield pairing to work. He's got an exciting front line. They probably need a couple more defenders, but they're there ready for now for a manager like Pochettino to come in and just push them to the next level. Because otherwise, we're just going to have the same thing where next season, you know... He'll, <laughs> I he'll, agree, he'll,
2: but it's quite funny. You know, <laughs> they'll, be,
1: they'll beat Leeds by playing on the counter-attack and everyone will be like, oh, God, Mason Greenwood's brilliant, and get him in the Euros team. And then they'll fail to win at home against Newcastle and, you know, a, a stubborn Steve Bruce side. And we'll ask be asking the same questions. Olegun Gunnar Solskjaer has done a much better job than most people thought he would do at Manchester United. He's gone as far as he can go. And that is the semi-finals of the Europa League because they're going to get knocked out against the <laughs> uh, but,
0: but then, Tom, what happens if they win the Europa League? Does that not alter your opinion of even, Ole Gunnar
1: Solskjaer? E- even better than that, how often in sport do people get to bow out on a high? I mean, the, <laughs> the guy as a player was about as good, like had as good a you know career in terms of being a legend. No one disliked Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Manchester United. Very few people from other clubs dislike him. So he goes in, does a bit of a clear out, gets them ready for the next phase, Wins a trophy, somehow gets them in the Champions League. Off you pop, brilliant. Go, you know, just sail off into the sunset. Go and be a pundit. Be, you know, be forever regarded as the man that stopped the Mourinho nonsense, stopped the kind of spending nonsense, and set them up for the you know long road which they're still on to go back to challenging Liverpool and Man City.
0: Does your you mentioned your brother? Does he agree with you? Does he have the same take?
1: He's actually sat next to me, just writing things down, and just I'm just <laughs> I, I, I'm just saying it. No, he, he agrees with me to a certain extent. He he has the more blind loyalty to players that I slag off. But um, I, I should say this isn't this isn't coming from any kind of bad place. I just think I just have watched them time and again, and I think this season I think they're almost a little bit like wolves. They seem a bit tired. I mean, you're telling me they're going to beat Sevilla and Inter Milan. In the next two games, one nil with a Bruno Fernandes penalty. I mean, that's what they managed. They sealed Champions League with that scoreline combination. They were pretty average against Leicester in the final game, and that was a Leicester team that were, you know, all over the shop. You know, they just get past a team like FC Copenhagen, who, in terms of wages, quality of players, miles behind them. I just can't see it. It feels like they're at a ceiling now, where they're at, and uh, yeah, I
2: just. Cup uh... competition. One-off game, who knows? I think that that could suit them as well, being a counter attacking team. If that front three on fire, then uh, you know, I think a one-off game. Yeah. could
1: do Yeah, yeah, they'll get to the final and get thumped by Inter Milan. <laughs> but I, either way, I just think I just think they've gone as far as they can go now. I just don't, you know, that's that's what. I'm, but I'm being serious. It sounds like I'm being kind of, you know, jokey. But Gregor, do you not think even whether whether or not they win the Europa League or not is there not a case to be made for saying, right, now let's go to the next level, and in the same way that you buy your a squad of players gets you to one place, you don't then go right, you lot are good enough you go, N- right, you lot off you pop, that doesn't seem to happen with managers that often, and I just feel like this is a classic case where it could
2: I, I think I think in one sense we agree in that um, Solskjaer will not be the man to win the Premier League with Manchester United but in the, w- the way I, what I don't agree with you is that I think it would be something that would further fracture the kind of the the relationship between the fans and the club which is already not great and I don't think that's a price worth paying right now I think even if there's another season of kind of as you say getting rid of some deadwood improving the score a little bit um you know that that's even there's even a question mark about that when when you don't know who's really at the helm and who's making the decisions. If Ed Woodward's the guy who's hmm. who's spending Manchester United's funds, so there's bigger bigger issues. And you wouldn't know he's the guy who's employing the next manager too. Yeah. So I think they've done all right, actually, just yeah. levelling things off, making the Champions League. And if they were to win the Europa League, absolutely no chance they should get rid of
1: him. I think I would just say one thing. that you asked about my brother and whether he agrees with me. <laughs> he, he does say that, even as an ardent Manchester United fan, and he's not the only one because I grew up there, so I've got lots of friends who are Manchester United fans, and lots of them say, love Ollie, but he's a bit of a... He, some of them say he's a sham as a manager. That's too far. <laughs> but some of them say, th- this is all he can do. He's got one tactic. It works against some teams. It works with Greenwood and Rashford. It doesn't always work. We've, this is as far as we can go. And I, yeah, that, that's that's why I've taken their controversial but excellent views and parroted them as my own. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs>
0: So, for you, let me just sum up then, Tom. For, for yep. you, Solskjaer obviously has to go. Go, go out on a high, however yep. that ends.
1: Good luck to him if he wants to win every game 1-0. <laughs> Fine. But, what,
0: but but why not give him the start of next season to see how it really works for getting like Pogba and Fernandez to properly work together at the start this of is, a new season? This is a
2: moot point. He's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. I think like he, there's no chance, You know, as much as Tom wants it to happen, there's no he chance he's leaving. So, I think... We should actually say we should look upon the season that he's had and think he's he's done he's done a lot better than a lot of us thought, me included. Yeah. If you
1: can tell me one other tactic or system that he's got, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Than...
2: He's still going to be in the job.
1: I, but he, but that's but that's the problem, isn't it? If he if he's actually going to, he doesn't have an overall ethos and a system and way of playing. He has one tactic, which that's is his
2: challenge. Yeah, that's his challenge now. He could almost doing that.
1: He's been yeah. doing, He did that in his first few months when he d- had that great period, which then got him the permanent job. He's still doing it now, all all this time on. That's my issue.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, there are mitigating circumstances. They, he's now got a team on the pitch that he, I think, he would say is capable of playing better football and and controlling games. So it's up to him now to for his team to do that.
0: Right. Well, there you go. That is it for now. Many thanks to Tom and to Gregor. (laughs) Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times for award-winning journalism on every platform. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We will be back with you on Monday. So, in the meantime, enjoy your weekend.